So I always say, if, if not, this is a good place to be. We are in 1 Timothy tonight, and we're not going to go far. We're going to cover three verses, Lord willing, here tonight. But uh, boy, I'll tell you, this is where we live. You'll, you'll see what I mean as he's going through it here as far as uh, what the law is good for. And what is the law good for? Well, let's pray. How about if we pray? And then we'll, then we'll talk about what the law is good for here. Uh, Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble and uh, just uh, pray for your blessing on the evening's ministries as we have the Awana youth group and also our Bible study and our prayer time here as well. So we commit our time together uh, to you, ask your blessing upon it. Thank you for your presence, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, um, before I get to my uh, original question here, uh, 1 Timothy was written quite late in the Apostle Paul's life. Uh, he was, we believe, beheaded about 67 A.D. It's about 64 A.D. on his fourth missionary journey when he's writing uh, 1 Timothy. So it's, it's quite late. And he actually had uh, planted this church at Ephesus on his third missionary journey, which was about 10 years earlier. And he'd been imprisoned. He was in prison for a while. Now he's been released. Uh, so there's been a lot that's been uh, happening... He had quite an investment at Ephesus, too. As far as a local church, there is no church that, that Paul personally invested more time in uh, than the church at Ephesus. I mean, how long was he there? <clears throat> he was there for three years. That's a long time in the Apostle Paul's life and ministry when you stop and think about it. Uh, I mean, he was always on the move. For him to be one place for three years, it's a long time. He had a major investment in this particular local church. And it seems to me he didn't want that to go down the tubes. He wanted this church to be thriving, to be strong. And yet he has some concerns, it seems to me, about the leadership there. Uh, Note uh, what we read here in Acts chapter 20, uh, follow-up visit with the elders on this third missionary journey. Therefore, take heed. He's talking to the elders. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Not only watch for yourselves, watch your own step, but you're watching for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We're not self-appointed men. The Holy Spirit's put you in this role uh, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So it's not your church. It's Christ. He purchased it. But yet you do have an oversight responsibility. And here's his concern. For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. How's that for a a going away message? (laughs) It's not boding well for the future here. I know this. Uh, Wolves are coming in. Savage wolves. Uh, also from among your own selves. Uh, you guys, there's a problem in your ranks here a little bit. Men will arise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So what's he been doing for those three years? Well, part of what he's been doing is warning them. Uh, we don't want to get off track here. He's talking to the elders. And he has a concern that even among their own selves... Uh, there's going to be people rising up and saying, hey, I want to uh, follow me, and I, I, I'm, I want to make my own disciples here, and really not thinking about the good of the body. And so uh, he has some concerns there. Uh, in particular, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, notice he says in verse 3, uh, he's encouraging, urging uh, Timothy uh, to remain at Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Again, I think there's a concern about some of the elders here, even at this point. Uh, they're the teachers, they're the main teachers, and he says, you charge them, they stay on track with the gospel of grace. They don't teach any other doctrine, they don't get into 
genealogies. They don't get into legalism that's contrary to grace. No, charge them that they teach no other doctrine. You go down to verse 7, we see clearly what the issue uh, of concern was. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. So these people are making themselves out to be teachers of the law. Uh, Not teachers uh, emphasizing grace properly, but they're wanting to bring the law into it, it would seem. And that's, uh, that's his concern. And then he qualifies in verse 8, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And that's where we left off last time. Uh, the law is good. Uh, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not like the law itself is bad. No, the law is good. It has a purpose, but it needs to be used properly. It needs to be used lawfully. But uh, note as we back up there to verse 5, the purpose of the commandment, this charge he has just given, is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and from sincere faith. The goal is to build a loving church, a church that's built on love. And uh, really, if you keep love, you keep all the commandments, Paul will say in Romans 13 and Galatians 5 and so forth. But uh, that's the goal. You know, you have, you have the law of Moses and you have the law of Christ. Which one are we under today? We're under the law of Christ. Are we not under the law of Moses anymore? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And uh, as you think about the law of Christ, what, what is the governing principle in terms of the law of Christ? What's well, love? Love. Love is really the governing reality. Uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, which begins with love and everything else flows out of that. And so uh, that's, the, that's the end of the charge here. The goal is that we be, uh, have churches, a church that is governed by love. And uh, so note uh, a couple of things as far as two texts in terms of uh, that are helpful here. Uh, well, I guess I'll put my theme up here first. <laughs> uh, church order is the, the theme. And we're got by the greetings and the commandments now, or commands to Timothy regarding doctrine and practice. Uh, really, uh, throughout the, the chapter 1, that becomes the emphasis. Okay, let me uh, take you now to a couple of verses here. In Romans chapter 1, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, all the world may become guilty. It's given to the Jews, but it has really application uh, for the whole world. It shows the guilt of the whole world. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is a knowledge of sin. I think that's a lawful use of the law. Uh, it will show, hey, you come short of the glory of God. You don't measure up to the standards of God. The other thing it does is it shows us our need of Christ. Uh, our knowledge of, of sin, but the law is our tutor. It, it's our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So the law properly understood drives us to faith in Christ, who alone is the answer to our sin problem. The law shows us our problem, but it doesn't present the answer. But it is a tutor to bring us to the answer and say, here's your, you have a need, and the, the answer to the need is found in Jesus Christ. Okay, well, he wants to build on this a little bit, though, as far as the lawful use of the law. There is a lawful use of the law, as we see in Romans chapter 3. Uh, it does expose uh, sin. And he's going to uh, build on this in verses 9 through 11, which we want to look at tonight. Somebody want to read verse 9? Actually, verses 9, 10, 11 all go together, but let's just read verse 9. Albert, you want to read it? (laughs) 
We're helpful here. Are you in First Timothy? Thank you. Uh, there's a lot on knowing right in this immediate context. Uh, you back up to verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know. They're wanting to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about. Now, he's going to say what the law, what the purpose of the law is and what the law does, but they don't know. Uh, they're trying somehow to use this as a, a means of righteousness, either to get right with God or, or in terms of sanctification, bringing it in. Uh, they don't know what they're talking about. Verse 8, though, he says, uh, but we know, but we know. They don't know, but we know. We know that the law is good if, if it's used right, uh, if it's used lawfully. And then he says now again in verse 9, knowing this, and now he explains the purpose of the law. Uh, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Uh, he is uh, going to emphasize uh, a, a whole category of sins here. And the law can't save, the law doesn't uh, sanctify. Again, the law is, is powerless. Uh, it, it really can't help the lost in terms of, of salvation. And, and the righteous don't need it, right? It's not made uh, for a righteous person, he says. Uh, so it's made for an unrighteous person. It, it has a, that's at the target here. Uh, it's uh, the law is not made for a righteous person because it exposes sin. It, I mean, if you if you know if you don't have any sin, you don't you don't have a need for the law, right? You don't have any sin that needs to be exposed. But uh, it does have a, a lawful purpose, as he's already said in verse eight, and that is it's a it's a ministry of condemnation, as Paul would say in Second Corinthians chapter three. It shows guilt. Now, let's back up uh, just a few things about the law. Uh, somebody wants, and we have these people who want to kind of put us under the law today. They want to go back to Jewish roots and, and all this stuff and, and try to tie in this and say, well, we need to, we need this. Okay. You can come in. <laughs> uh, who knows what's going on? We'll, we'll continue here. Uh, in the Old Testament, Israel was under the Mosaic Law, uh, consisting of a unit of 613 laws. Now, it was a unit. You say, well, I've, I've kept 600 of them. That's not good enough. You have to keep all the law, all the time, in thought, word, and deed. So, uh, it was a, a rule of life, not a means of salvation. It was never a means of salvation. Is there somebody in there? Oh, is a little guy in there? Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So uh, they followed it in the Old Testament as a matter of sanctification, but not salvation. Uh, it presented the holy standard of God, but did not empower the people to live by it. Uh, so the essence of the Mosaic Law is summarized in, in the Ten Commandments. So um, just kind of an overview there. Um, <clears throat> today... 
uh, we're under grace, uh, the law of Christ and the Spirit's indwelling as a rule of life. The Old Testament code, uh, the law of Moses has been set aside. However, the New Testament code, the law of Christ, repeats or incorporates nine of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath commandment being omitted. So every one of the commandments is repeated under the umbrella of the new code we're now under, uh, with the exception of the Sabbath. Uh, we're, we're not under the Sabbath. Uh, the moral standard of God's holiness does not change, and that's important. This moral standard is a constant as reflected both in the Ten Commandments and in the law of Christ. So there's a, a consistent moral standard throughout. People are universally accountable to this glory of God standard. And that's important. That's where the lawful use of the law comes in. There is uh, the glory of God standard in the law, and there is a glory of God standard in the gospel. And so that's where uh, we uh, merge there. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> the best way to show people their guilt is to measure them up against the moral standard of God's righteousness as reflected in the law. People essentially think they're good. They think they're good people and tend to measure themselves against other people. We need to help them measure themselves up against the law, which is God's holy standard to see that they are not good. And that's what we do in our tracks, in our, in our evangelism ministry. You know, we've got a little track, how good. Uh, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Have you ever been jealous? Uh, you know, we go through these things. Have you, used, ever, have you ever used God's name as a, a curse word? You know, all of those things. We're saying, okay, see, you don't, you don't measure up to the standard of God's holiness. So we're, we're here to help, right? We're here to help. <laughs> we're not with the government, but we're here to help. <clears throat> Revelation uh, 21 uh, but there shall by new means... He's talking about ultimately the, the eternal state, the new Jerusalem, the eternal uh, place that God has for his own. There shall by no means enter anything that defiles, any sin on the record that defiles, causes an abomination or a lie, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, this is how you come in. Your, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Only those washed in the blood of the Lamb and thereby are made perfectly clean and holy will be able to dwell with God in eternity. Thus the law can never cleanse. Uh, the law reveals the dirt on everyone, but only the blood of Jesus has cleansing power. And there's the key. Uh, the new covenant is all about the blood of Jesus and, and what uh, we have in Jesus Christ. So, uh, the law is not made for a righteous person. Um, the righteous don't need it. Uh, unrighteous do. Uh, it needs to be applied. But for the lawless, and then he continues, the lawless and the insubordinate, there's, there's three uh, couplets here. Uh, but for the lawless and the insubordinate. Now, the law is directed to the lawless here. That's the emphasis. And we have a catalog of 14 sins that are mentioned here. And it reads like a, a pictorial of society here as far as what we got going on right now. I mean, you talk about up-to-date. This is it. And you know what? The, the, they need to hear about the law. They need to know grace, too. But really, to appreciate grace, you, you need to first hear about law. Uh, Paul drags us through the mud of uh, sin in Romans 1 through 3 before he really gets to the grace uh, story in chapter, uh, end of chapter 3 and on there. 
so uh, the law is good, he says in verse 8, if one uses it lawfully. Well, how does one use it lawfully? Well, to expose sin. He already says that in Romans 3, as, as we have noted. And uh, so uh, what we have here in these 14 uh, categories of sin that he now mentions really kind of corresponds to the Ten Commandments pretty closely, as we will see. Uh, there were our, what we call the two tables of the law. Uh, if you can read this, you know, you have uh, four that are kind of God-oriented and then uh, six that are more people-oriented. Uh, honor your father, mother, you know, shall not kill, all, you know, and so forth. Uh, but first, no gods before me. Shall not take, make any graven image, and so forth. More God-oriented, those, those, uh, the first tablet, what we call the first tablet of the law. And uh, then with that in mind, uh, note what we have here in 1 Timothy. The first three pairs in verse 9 go together and deal with sins against the first table of the law. Those first four commandments that deal with sin against God specifically. The last eight sins in 9b through 10 closely parallel the second table of the law, which involved the last six commands, which focus on sin against your fellow man. And I'll show you at the end just how closely this does parallel uh, the Ten Commandments and what he is saying here. Uh, so the lawless, the lawless. Uh, who are the lawless? Well, you know the lawless? Uh, just turn on the news. That's the lawless. I mean, we see them. They have no regard for law and really God's law. Uh, you know, one of the uh, names for the Antichrist is the lawless one, right? Uh, we read about this in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, then the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, destroy it with the brightness of his coming. Uh, he is the lawless one. Even now we know that the, the world is being prepped for the lawless one. Uh, breakdown of law and just craziness. And we, and we see it all around us. We, we know where it's ultimately uh, building. So the law is not made for a righteous, but for the lawless. Uh, they really need to hear it. They don't want to hear this, by the way. <laughs> they don't want to hear about their guilt. Uh, they, 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 they just tell me everything's fine. Just, uh, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. It doesn't matter how I live. I'm a Christian. I, I believe, 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 believe. Yeah. How about the law? How about some repentance? Uh, I, I really think, as Ray Comfort says, the thing that is sorely missing in evangelicalism today is we have forgot the lawful use of the law. Uh, I, I know even pastors who don't think we need to use the law in, in sharing the gospel in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I disagree with that. I think it serves a very important purpose in exposing sin and showing people their need. Uh, shows the lawless. They're lawless. Let's work our way through. the. T How you doing? Well, I'm a good person. How good are you? Let's measure you up here. Let's bring in the Ten Commandments here. Uh, the lawless and the insubordinate. Like I say, these are closely related. Insubordinate means rebellious. Those who won't submit, very close uh, to lawless. Um, they have a problem with authority, you know. Lawless, we're going to do our own thing. We're a law unto ourselves. So we're, we're rebellious. Uh, for the ungodly, um, godly is the exact opposite, the polar opposite of ungodly. Uh, the ungodly have no regard for God, no regard for that which is sacred. Uh, they're irreverent. Uh, no concern about God. No fear of God. Uh, for the ungodly, for sinners. 
Sinners violate God's law. Uh, they miss the mark, and then they willfully do so. Uh, so they, they sin at will here. Disregard, again, for, for God. And uh, then the, the uh, unholy. Unholy. Holy means set apart. Unholy means uh, those that are not set apart. Uh, they're devoid of piety and devotion. Um, they, there's no uh, set-apartness um, to them at all. And profane. <clears throat> profane means to treat the things of God with contempt. Uh, that's the idea. Again, <clears throat> no reverence. <clears throat> Let's see. I got a slide here. Uh, the profane treat the things of God with contempt. The word profane comes from a root word meaning threshold. These people treat spiritual things like dirt and trample them underfoot. Uh, so that's the idea of profane. No, no respect, uh, total contempt for the things of God. So again, these first three couplets that we've looked at here really relate to the first table of the law. They defy the lordship of God. That's the main idea here. I really think this is the fundamental problem, uh, always, is the lordship of God. They have a problem with this. I mean, you get the right perspective on the lordship of God, it brings everything else into pr proper perspective. Uh, really, that's what the day of the Lord is all about, the coming day of the Lord judgment. I mean, when God's going to bring his wrath upon the entire world, it's a lordship issue. That's what the day of the Lord is all about. It's properly called the day of the Lord. Uh, this is their fundamental problem. Uh, they're lawless, insubordinate, ungodly, sinners, unholy, profane. No regard for God whatsoever. Day of the Lord is going to bring some real serious correction here. Uh, the law is good to address this. It says, here is the holy standard of the holy God. You're in trouble. Uh, you need to get right. Uh, I mean, if you don't know you're a sinner, why do you even need grace? But you are a terrible sinner, and you are in need of, of grace. Okay, um, continuing then, uh, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers. Really, murders is probably not the best translation here. Uh, smiters is probably the better translation. Uh, got a slide here. Uh, Donald Guthrie says, this should perhaps be understood as smiters of parents, an extreme violation of the fifth commandment. Uh, Exodus 21, 15, he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. I mean, the, the Old Testament was, was very clear there. So uh, that seems to be the idea there. Uh, smiters of fathers, smiters of mothers. And then manslayers is murders, uh, those who are premeditated killers. Uh, that's the idea there. Okay, any other thoughts as we wrap up verse 9? Okay, if not, somebody want to read verse uh, 10 and 11 for us? Who wants to read that? 10 and 11? Yes, Amy? Okay, thank you. So he continues on with his list here. Uh, fornicators. Uh, fornication, uh, the, word, the word here is pornos, which is a, a very general word. Uh, we think about uh, fornication, you know, sex before marriage, adultery, you know, unfaithfulness to the married vows. That's true. But uh, this uh, word pornos uh, is a very broad word and can be used... Uh, 
for any, uh, any type of immoral activity outside uh, God-ordained marriage. And uh, the Bible is very clear uh, what God thinks about that. I mean, we've got Hebrews 13, 4, which says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Uh, very clear statement there as far as uh, uh, not only fornication, but, but specifically adultery there as well. And then uh, for sodomites, um, you know, this is the idea of homosexuals. Homosexuals. Uh, people say, well, where is this in the New Testament? Well, here's one place. And actually, it's, there's a lot of places, actually, in the New Testament. Uh, the idea of a, a sodomite or a homosexual is um, one who lays with a, with a male as, as, as with a female. And uh, in Leviticus 18.22, God calls this an abomination. First uh, Kings 14.24, they are called perverted persons. Well, I mean, that would be offensive, right, in today's world, right? You talk about uh, those, that kind of language. Um, that's very offensive in, in uh, what is politically correct today. But the Bible, again, is very clear here. It's not just here uh, in 1 Timothy. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, uh, really effeminate, uh, you know, the, uh, the one that plays the, 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 plays the part of uh, the effeminate one, uh, nor sodomites, homosexuals, that's, that's the word we have here. So he says, don't be deceived. Uh, these will not in, inherit the kingdom. And, uh, boy, you know, I don't know how much more strong you can make this. Uh, like in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, uh, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. I, I don't know how much more of a graphic example you need than Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a New Testament verse. You say, well, that's back there in Genesis 18. Yeah, it is. Carries all the way through to the New Testament, right up to where we are. God intends this to be an enduring example of what he thinks about this, uh, this particular sin. And then in Jude, same emphasis, uh, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Very, very strong statement once again. So these are not, uh, I really think as we get further into the last days, if you are going to be a real Christian in some way, shape, or form, you're going to be forced to take a stand here. I know a lot of Christians say, I don't want to get into it. Yeah, well, we all want to share the truth in love, for sure. But we can't go soft on immorality. I mean, this, and the younger generation is capitulating in huge droves. I mean, as far as uh, Generation uh, Z and these younger ones, are, they're leaving the church, they're buying. Even though they've had an evangelical background, so many of them are, are buying into this. The, the pressures of the world are very strong. Paul says, be not conformed to this world. It's, it's tremendously strong. Well, Paul says, uh, the law has something to say here. And it speaks to uh, fornicators, sodomites, uh, kidnappers. Uh, kidnappers is literally uh, men-stealers. Uh, pretty much what it says, kidnappers. Uh, the Jewish rabbis uh, specifically applied the, the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal, to kidnapping, expositors. Uh, 
The idea is to exploit people by buying and selling them as property. It's the worst kind of stealing. And uh, it's amazing, you know, uh, what's going on in the world today. You talk about the human trafficking that's going on on our southern border. I don't know if you listen to the news at all. Probably for your mental health, it's not good. But uh, it, is tr- it is unbelievable what's going on down there as far as human trafficking, uh, sexual craziness. It, it is unbelievable what is being done uh, to people. Uh, kidnappers uh, for liars. Uh, liars, pathological liars, uh, deliberate liars. You know, uh, <laughs> people tend to be liars. Uh, the heart is deceitful above all things, right? Jeremiah 17. And so, uh, you know, I think about Proverbs. Uh, lying is a really serious matter. And uh, here in Proverbs, it talks about uh, six things the Lord hates, yea, uh, yes, seven, an abomination to him. Proud look, a lying tongue. First thing mentioned is proud, uh, pride, but then a lying tongue. Hands that chant innocent blood, heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brethren. But notice out of, the, out of the seven, you got two that emphasize lying. A lying tongue, a false witness who speaks lies. Uh, these things are an abomination to God. Uh, it's, a, it's a really serious matter for sure. Liars. Perjurers. Perjurers are really hardcore liars. Uh, they're so hardcore, they don't seem to have a conscience. This is the idea of lying under oath uh, to perjure yourself. Now, you're under oath, bring God into the equation, doesn't matter, they lie anyway. They, there's, there is no fear of God uh, once again. Uh, so, um, and then he says in a catch all statement uh, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Uh, in other words, uh, this is not a comprehensive list. Uh, anything else? If there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is uh, healthy teaching. Uh, that's the idea. The word sound <clears throat> uh, is a, you can see where you get hygiene there, right? Uh, is a word from which we get our English word hygienic. It refers to that which is healthy, wholesome, or sound. There's a lot of sick teaching. Uh, that the body of Christ at large regularly feeds on, and it does not make uh, for good health in the body of Christ. Uh, They say you are what you eat. I think that's true spiritually as as well here. And so he says, uh, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound is uh, that which is true, that which is accurate. Um, It calls sin, sin. It it calls it for what it is. And and the law is (laughs) very good at pointing out all of these things. They're all based uh, in in the law there, if you go back to the Old Testament, in terms of God's moral standard. We find the Bible is very clear that in the latter times, uh, what are we going to have? 2 Timothy chapter 4, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Talking about church context, apostate, a lot of apostasy, that's the, the trend for last days. According to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap up for themselves teachers. Not a lack of teachers. All kinds of teachers on the scenes, but they're not teaching sound doctrine. Uh, they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Uh, that's last day's madness. I think that's where we live. It's crazy. Um, you know, uh, there are a few large churches that I could recommend, but very few. Most of the mega churches are so watered down, uh, we're not enduring much sound doctrine anymore. 
anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. The word doctrine is found eight times in 1 Timothy. It's, it's a key issue. It's, it's very important. Uh, note uh, what I was saying earlier. You won't be able to see this if you sat past the first row, which means none of you can see it, right? But uh, this is from uh, Stephen Cole. Uh, you've got the things that we've worked our way through here in 1 Timothy 1, 9, and 10, and how it corresponds to the Ten uh, Commandments here. Very, the, the only one that's really don't have a corollary is uh, the Sabbath. But the rest of these really uh, correlate very, very closely uh, to the Ten Commandments there. Uh, Thomas uh, Constable uh, says this, uh, Paul probably uh, did not refer to violation of the fourth commandment, the Sabbath one, because it's not a part of the moral code of the new covenant. Perhaps he did not mention violation of the 10th commandment because he dealt with that later, uh, as he will in 1 Timothy 6, or because violation of it is unobservable. Uh, That's a commentary by Thomas Constable. Okay, um, and then... uh, any other thoughts here before I go to verse 11? Uh, got one more verse here. All right, verse 11. Notice he's not done with his thought yet. If there is anything, uh, he lists these 14 uh, sin categories. And then he says, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now this last verse, verse 11 here is kind of interesting because he's just talked about all these categories of sin. And uh, how do all of these sins, uh, in what way are they uh, contrary to sound doctrine as revealed in the gospel? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? That's the issue here. How are these sins and anything else that violates sound doctrine, how, how is it uh, contrary uh, to the, the gospel, according to the, gospel, the glorious gospel? Well, the first thing we need to ask ourselves is, well, what is the gospel? And if you answer that question, it will be very, very obvious. The gospel has uh, really two realities to it, right? You need to come to my right kind of faith uh, class, which I just finished that thing this morning, by the way. I mean, one more time through, uh, and I just as far, not as far as reading the whole thing, but as far as, you know, making sure all the mar- everything's right, but... But uh, the gospel really has uh, two aspects to it, clearly stated in the New Testament. I really hammer evangelicals for being weak on what I call the lordless gospel. But uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we we have a a great summary uh, of the gospel. Uh, I declare to you the gospel, Paul says, I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. It was Christ. Uh, There's a lot in that word Christ there, by the way. It's an Old Testament word. Uh, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Emphasis, strong emphasis here at this point on the what? On the work. On the work of Jesus Christ. On the work of Jesus Christ. But you know, uh, Paul, the same writer, uh, he wrote another book to the Corinthians, right? We call it 2 Corinthians. And what's he say there? Uh, If our gospel is veiled, it's hidden. It's veiled to those who are perishing. They don't see this. And what is it? Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. That's their problem. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, ourselves your, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. 
is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where do you find it? In the face of Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ. Here's the light of the gospel. It's, it's the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God. He is Lord. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. So the glory of Christ. The glory of God. Those are equivalent here. Uh, the whole emphasis is we as believers have come to see the truth of who Jesus Christ is. This is the gospel. It's veiled to the lost. But we, we have come to see this. So um, sound doctrine that is contrary to the truth of Christ is really, I think, what is he's, he's being emphasized here. Uh, the law and the gospel are in agreement on the issue of sin in this regard. Uh, the moral slant uh, of the of the law and uh, the cross really meet together. Uh, let me um, let me bring up some other slides here. Got a few more slides to share with you here, and this is important. Uh, whereas the, the New King James translates this according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, a more literal translation is according to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Remember all that emphasis on the glory of Christ, the glory of the gospel in 2 Corinthians? Um, so we got the new King James according to the glorious gospel, uh, but the ESV, I think more literal here, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. McLaren's expositions, the apostle is not telling us what kind of thing the gospel is, but what it is about. He is, uh, he is dealing not with its quality, but with its contents. It is a gospel which reveals, has to do with, is the manifestation of the glory of God. There you go. Um, the glory of God is seen in the law. The glory of God is seen in the gospel, in the person of Jesus Christ. That's, what, that's where we're going here. The gospel is the message about the revelation of God in Christ Jesus, which is the glory of God. There is a glory of God reality in the gospel, and this emphasizes the person of Christ. It presents the perfect spotless Lamb of God as the standard of all that is right and holy. The law mirrors this perfect standard, but Jesus personified it. There's the key statement. The law mirrors this perfect standard, but Jesus personified it. Uh, this, too, is part of the gospel as seen in his person. Uh, so, the law presents uh, a standard we might call the glory of God standard. I like that. Uh, to say that all come short of the law is to say all come short of the glory of God. Or to say we all come short of the standard of Christ. There is harmony here between the standard of the law and the glory of Christ. Thus Christ fulfilled the law. Okay. Um, Romans chapter 3. We know these verses. We already looked at Romans 3.20. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for the law is a knowledge of sin. All have sinned and come sh fall short of the, of the glory of God. So the law does its work in revealing sin and shows us we've all come short of, of that glory of God standard. We see that same glory of God standard uh, in uh, the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, notice this. The same moral shortcomings presented by the law are the same ones nailed to the cross. 
Colossians 2, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Uh, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So uh, you see those moral shortcomings revealed in the law. They've been nailed to the cross here as brought out by Paul. Um, It's interesting. When Peter talks about those who apostatize, they have turned from the holy commandment. Uh, The gospel is called the holy commandment by Paul there. And then uh, notice he says, uh, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. The word blessed here means happy, uh, which is interesting. We don't see this word used in reference to God a whole lot. Uh, I think a couple of times. There are two words translated blessed in the New Testament. One means well spoken of, used in reference to worship. Uh, The other means happy. That's the word here. The gospel of the glory, the gospel of the glory is of the happy God. Within himself, God is full of bliss. He is not by nature a disgruntled or unhappy person. He's a happy God, uh, but he is also holy. And it seems to me the only thing that makes him unhappy is sin. Uh, you know, the wrath of God we see in the day of the Lord. His happiness is here intimately associated with the glory of the gospel. If sin makes him unhappy, it is the gospel that makes him happy, especially as people put their faith in the gospel and are reconciled to him by the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, So note, uh, he says, uh, which was committed to my trust. It's a stewardship thing. It was committed to him. And and he took this very, very seriously. And uh, we too have a responsibility here, right? I mean, this is what uh, 2 Corinthians says in terms of uh, what God has given to us is the ministry of reconciliation. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. Of course, Paul speaking of, of himself first and foremost. But uh, this is our position. We, we are now ministers of reconciliation. This is committed to our trust as well in that sense. Someone as well said, keep, keep the faith, but don't keep it to yourself, right? Yeah, it's committed to our trust. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? No? I could see the wheels turning. <laughs> this is a great text here as far as the, the purpose of the law. And it aligns perfectly with the person of Christ. The, the gospel is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, the same standard, the holy standard we have, that moral standard in the law, it aligns perfectly with the person of Jesus Christ and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ in that sense. All right, let's uh, share some prayer items. Uh, if you got your prayer sheet.